Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the conversation. Let's get right into it. All right, um, here we go. I have on the conversation Amanda Mackey, Republican strategist and attorney. She actually has a really remarkable resume, a remarkable background. We're gonna try to figure out why she's still a Republican. So Amanda is a lawyer, political strategist, policy strategist. Um, most recently, uh, she did have a candidacy uh, for the Republican primary, Florida's 13th Congressional District 2020, earning the endorsements of over two dozen Republican leaders. Uh, she was appointed by George W. Bush, that administration to serve uh, the Army General Counsel at the Pentagon just weeks after September 11th. Um, I want to talk about CPAC. Amanda, how are you? I'm great. Okay, so did you enjoy CPAC? Um, I thought it was a great display of conservative values. Uh, you had really the, the conservative base leaders there. And I thought they did a good job of conveying the message. Did you think they did a good job at worshiping Donald Trump as well? Um, I, I thought Donald Trump did you know, exactly what he should do, which is try to heal the party, you know, show that there isn't division. Uh, and then, of course, he had to lay out why Joe Biden's first you know, 40 days in office has been a disaster. And I thought he did a good job of that. And I thought he didn't go off script too much. So I think he did a good job. Let's talk about some of that criticism. You brought up that, yep, he definitely highlighted what he called a disastrous administration within the first few days. But let's talk about what Trump did for four years. Do you believe Trump was a successful president? Now, I'm gonna give you context for this based on the measure that he gave you. He said things like he would fix immigration, that he would cut taxes like for the middle class like never before. He said that he would be the greatest negotiator. He said he would give you a wall. He said he would increase military spending. He said he would give raises to teachers. He said he would bring universal health care. None of this happened under his leadership. So by the measurable outcomes, would you say his four years was successful? Well, I look at the things that he was able to do. You know, there are a lot of things that politicians talk about, and then they have to work within the confines of the Congress. You know, this isn't a monarchy, so you know he he has to work with the legislative body. I mean, just compare, you know, with Joe Biden, he's done a lot by executive order. I just wrote a piece on this actually in the Tampa Bay Times comparing. Joe Biden, who spent decades, over 30 years in the United States Senate, with the most recent president of either party who spent nearly two decades in the Senate, and that was Lyndon B. Johnson. Now, LBJ really worked with the other side. He was known for strong arming, he was known for bullying, but he worked to bring bipartisan legislation. Whether you agree with it or not, he did many things during his time. Now, Joe Biden, on the other hand, is doing a lot by executive order, which I completely disagree with, but I understand that's within his parameters. President Trump did that too, but President Trump actually worked in a bipartisan way to bring about legislation. Let's talk about historically black colleges and universities, you know, record funding there, criminal justice. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, now you're in my lane. Now you're in my lane because I actually have a degree from an HBCU. So let's talk about the HBCU optical illusion. So while Donald Trump absolutely said we're gonna give money, more money to HBCUs, 
He also cut federal funding for what's called the federal trio program. The federal trio program is upward bound educational talent search. That money directly goes to first generational black students to have a college experience. I benefited from that program myself at Clark Atlanta University. Donald Trump cut the funding for that program. He basically said, I'm giving you money here, but then he took more money out of the pot on the other side. And he never doubled down and actually funded the private HBCU capital fund that he created. So when you say that he did something in the bipartisan manner for HBCUs, he did a photo op with a bunch of HBCU presidents and gave them absolutely nothing. And those presidents will tell you that. Well, look, he still worked with Congress to do that. Um, and and where there where there are cuts, you can you know boost up other funding programs. I worked in Congress for nearly a decade, and you know there certainly is in Congress a desire, even on both sides of the aisle, I would say that if we're going to boost up programs, we do have to make cuts elsewhere. So it's not always you know fair. It's not always done. Uh, exactly the way that people want it. But I think a boosting of the HBCUs, but for me personally, I really think the criminal justice reform that President Obama wasn't able to pass, but President Trump was and did it in a bipartisan way, something that really sat there for decades and nothing ever happened. He used Jared Kushner because of his father's time in prison uh, to, to work on that. and. And they actually did something. Did it go far enough? Did it you know, solve all the problems? This is not a perfect science. But I think what they did was a good, great start for uh, something that really matters to a lot of people. It's personal to me as well. Well, Amanda, I thank you for bringing that kind of stuff up because at CPAC, the theme was not about HBCUs nor higher education, period. The theme at CPAC was not about uh, criminal justice reform whatsoever. So let's talk about criminal justice reform for a moment because you brought it up, all right? So I like the initiative, it has helped individuals. And I've been able to interview people on my show about the initiative that Trump did sign into law. That was a bipartisan measure, by the way, that Republicans and Democrats both signed on to. But remember, his administration also, once again, cut funding for reentry programs, eliminated halfway houses, decided to not allow the Pell Grant pilot program to remain inside of federal jails. And we all know that higher education is the best deterrent to recidivism in the United States of America. So on the one hand, he has this great legislative accomplishment with bipartisan support. And then he has 10 policy issues that completely contradict the legislative agenda of criminal justice reform. How do you marry the two and why is it that nobody at CPAC talked about criminal justice reform or making sure HBCUs got money they deserve? Well, I actually think higher education is important. Certainly it helped my family. Uh, you know, We came here with nothing, we fled from Iran when the revolution happened. And uh, you know, my parents didn't have two nickels to rub together. Uh, they came to a country that was foreign to them. They had a one-year-old and uh, my father was able to study while my mom delivered yellow pages and was a nanny to be able to put him through school. Uh, and you know, I didn't have anything new until I was about nine years old. And so I completely understand how important higher education it is. It has made a difference in my life, um, not just me personally, but also you know my family and others who have immigrated to this country. So I think. 
Let's talk about immigration because I think that's important. But um, with regards to higher education, not only is higher education important, but technical education is important. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to be a doctor or lawyer, nor do we need everyone to be a doctor right. or lawyer. We need people to be plumbers and pipe fitters and, and all those things too. Um, so I think that's important. Look, again, it's not a perfect science when you're dealing with a clunky federal bureaucracy. You have to take from some programs and, and make changes. Uh, that's why I think that you know what you look at overall is if there's bipartisan support, it's a good thing. That's why I don't like that Joe Biden has really just said, look, it's a take it or leave it. We're gonna do this and you're either with us or you're not. And I think he's well, seen that now- Well, that was Trump's philosophy as well. Now you can't criticize no, Joe Biden and also criticize Donald Trump. Donald Trump not only had a take it or leave it mentality as it related to what he wanted to do, he also attacked other Republicans openly, one of them being the governor of Georgia if he did not get his way. So this bullish leadership mentality is not something that is simply allocated to a Joe Biden presidency. If you're going to blame it, have some intellectual integrity and blame Trump if you don't like the methodology I of leadership. I think bullish is different than bipartisan. Look. You think uh, you Trump know, was I, a bipartisan president? Yes. COVID name, relief. Name five the pieces COVID of legislation. Relief, five no, COVID minute, relief if, bills. If say that, Joe Biden doesn't have one and he doesn't care well, to have wait a minute, one with Republicans. Here's support. what I would like you to do. Uh, Joe Biden got a few days, Trump had four years. Name two major accomplishments of Donald Trump that had significant bipartisan support over four years of being in control of this country. Well, I just mentioned one, five COVID relief bills. Um, and I also mentioned criminal justice reform. Uh, I think those are those are two good examples. A right to try legislation that mm -hmm. allowed for drugs that hadn't been fully approved by the FDA to be able to use by people with rare and you know lethal diseases. Mm -hmm. So I think those are those are examples of things that he looked at it and just said, this doesn't make sense. We need to fix okay. this. Now, Let's now, and, and I, I absolutely understand your positioning on, on that, and very good, you know, finding some of those uh, moments in his presidency. But you would say, and I only got a few seconds left. You would say that Donald Trump was absolutely a bipartisan president for four years. I would say that he got a lot accomplished on a bipartisan basis, and Joe okay. Biden, in his first forty days, doesn't care to do it even once. All right, well, it's, a perfect it's, example. It's, it's tough to do it when you have uh, such tribalism in the political narrative that you have Republicans saying that they're going to impeach Joe Biden on his first day of office without him ever even getting sworn in and getting a day's work done. You already had Republicans. I think that was President Trump that they said they were gonna impeach within 19 minutes of him being sworn in. Well, remember the record was set by Congresswoman Green out of Georgia that started to do the paperwork before Biden was sworn in. My point to you is there's such extreme uh, tribalism in politics that I don't think anyone can proclaim that Trump was somehow a bipartisan president whatsoever. I think that's, I think that's loony, uh, but I give you the last word. I would just say there were bipartisan accomplishments. Joe Biden would be wise to have his first bill be bipartisan, and he just saw with Neera Tandon having to withdraw that this is gonna be a very tough Congress with a 50-50 Senate, only nine seats separating the majority in the House. He has to work on a bipartisan basis, and that would be very wise of him to do. Duty number one, open up the schools. All right, I appreciate you, thank you for your time. Amanda, it's been fun.
Thank you, doctor. All right, what's happening? Welcome to the conversation. Uh, we have David Johns on the show. David is the executive director of National Black Justice Coalition. Remarkable background, known for his passion for public policy, fierce advocacy for youth. Uh, he's enthusiastic about equity. On September 1st, 2017, David Johns began his new life and new chapter as the executive director for the National Black Justice Coalition. Um, has a long resume dedicated to the empowerment of black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people, including people living with HIV AIDS. He's also pursuing a PhD in sociology and education policy at Columbia University. Uh, take it from me, uh, condolences to you, brother, because you are a walking zombie right now in a PhD program. But thank you for being on the show. Story of my life. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Um, man, first of all, let's talk about the Equality Act. There's a lot of misrepresentation and misinformation around the Equality Act. It's passed the House, headed to the Senate. Uh, its future is uncertain. But unpack that. What is the Equality Act? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, the Equality Act is the most recent attempt to ensure that all Americans have equal access to the programs and resources that allow us to get close to the American dream. The three points to underscore that are that it builds upon existing foundational federal non-discrimination legislation, including the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. It fills existing gaps that are again designed to provide clear and consistent federal protections to really deny people the opportunity to discriminate when providing public goods or operating a public business, public accommodations, things like ride shares and Uber, but also preventing the use of government resources and government sponsored programs or services from being able to be denied access or deny access to opportunity to people. Um, so that's one. The second thing is that for LGBTQ people in particular, the act provides clear and consistent protection so that we cannot be discriminated against based on our actual or what people might assume to be our sexual identity, our gender orientation, our expression. Um, so it builds upon the Supreme Court's most recent actions in the Bostic decision, uh, which prevents federal discrimination regarding employment. But acknowledges that it doesn't really mean much that you can't deny me access to a job once I have it if I can't get close to show up at the job interview in a way that is presentable or expected of me. Or have access to public housing, which is often required as a prerequisite for being able to complete a job application. And then finally, the bill also provides protections for young people. Right now, LGBTQ youth do not have access to the same federal protections as their non LGBTQ counterparts. Uh, poor white people who are discriminated against uh, because they live in rural, isolated, small communities or otherwise don't have access to the same resources that someone else might have access to are also protected. Um, and so those are three, I hope, points to illustrate that this is the most recent attempt to ensure that we all have a fair access um, to a level playing field um, that is consistent with the way that we talk about liberty and equality in our country. 
Why do you think uh, conservatives primarily, why do you think they're fighting against the idea, the notion of the Equality Act? I'm clear that anyone who believes in uh, uh, supports otherwise benefits from white supremacy and anti-blackness would uh, fight against the passage of the Equality Act in the same way that people fought against the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act of the 90s, the Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 63, and so many other pieces of legislation, not only at the federal level, but at the local and the state level that are designed to ensure that we fill these gaps. Uh, gaps that have existed again because of how white supremacy and attempts to preserve privilege for some while denying it to others, um, how that works. Um, And we should all be clear that attempts to deny access to federal protections is a way to try and hide bigotry and bias and hate. Um, All things that we uh, at this moment in time, especially when we think about this moment of the movement for black lives uh, should be well beyond debating and should all be committed to upholding as people who purport to care about the American dream. David, because man, you are a really a sociologist, okay? So let me ask you this question in the social context. Every time there's a religious freedom bill, because this is the big thing they say, oh, this is going to violate religious freedoms, especially states in the South, right? So all these lawmakers and supporters, they come out and say, this is bad because it doesn't allow me to express my religion. Why is it that every single religious freedom bill only gives people the freedom to be discriminatory? Why is it we don't have one religious freedom bill that actually brings coalitions together? Why is that? Uh, I don't know if I can answer that question. What I can answer is affirming rather that freedom of religion is important. Uh, Everyone should have access to uh, demonstrate uh, commitment to faith in ways that make sense to them. And the right to do so is already enshrined in the First Amendment. Um, and so what I want to be clear about is that the ways that um, the right in this point, the, the Republican caucus and the Senate are attempting to uh, stonewall, word used intentionally, the advancement of the Equality Act is simply an attempt to hide bias and bigotry in the name of righteousness and the name of religion. I'm the grandson of a black Baptist preacher. Religion is important to me. And my practice of religion should never impinge upon someone else's right to liberty or to access to fundamental services. And if at no time in our country should this be any clearer, it is now when we think about the implications of COVID, when we think about the the, the recent emergency in Texas where my parents are from. Too often black people, women, people who are LGBTQIA plus are denied access to critical services that too many people take for granted. And the Equality Act is a way to provide federal protections so that in moments where someone might want to do that, they are not protected federally in doing so. You know, this is one of those opportunities in American legislation where we can actually address inequity, right? So we call it the Equality Act, but we're really trying to address inequity, disparities that exist in systemic models. And one thing about system disparity is that it's so indoctrinated, so ingrained in the everyday cycle of that institution that for the most part, many don't even see it. They don't even recognize the implicit bias 
that permeates through that organization. And so legislation like this awakens us to the idea and it makes it front and center. But you have very learned lawmakers who are well aware of the implicit bias of these systems. And they're fighting against it, disguising the fight as a religious freedom fight. But it's really a fight to maintain their white supremacy, their bigoted stance, and their voting base of bigots that support them, right? Yeah, yes, most definitely. And and the thing that is most important to me in this context is too often people who are voting in support of people who benefit from their positions of privilege don't benefit similarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to highlight again, this isn't just about LGBTQ people, but women on the basis of sex, poor white folks, other communities of color, and black folks generally, but especially black LGBTQIA folks all benefit when we fill these foundational gaps that exist federally. What would your argument be to those in the Senate on the Republican side um, who are you know, launching, I guess, I would say the strongest uh, adversarialness to this idea? What would you say to them to try to soften or massage it so that this could actually pass uh, with, a, with a 60 vote Senate? My question is, do you believe in an America where everyone is treated equally mm. and has access to opportunity? This is the myth that we export globally and have for centuries, for a lot longer than I believe that I, that I have been alive. And if you believe in treating everyone equally and everyone having access to the American dream, then you should support passing the Equality Act. That is the question that this bill allows us to ask and answer. Do we believe that everyone should be treated in the way that we want to be treated? Um, Do those in positions of power believe that those who are not in positions of power deserve access to the same resources that make us Americans? Um, That for me is the conversation to be had and it's not really a debate, the answer is clear. Yes, if you do support the Equality Act and fill in these foundational gaps, um, acknowledging that this is where we are in this moment. And if your answer is no, then my hope is that what we've seen based in uh, recent elections in Georgia, uh, when we think about the presidential election, the sea change we saw in terms of the purple wave and the increase in LGBTQIA representatives, not only federally, but uh, throughout the states, throughout the country, uh, should indicate that if people answer no, then they will be held accountable. I want to remind people that the nonpartisan Public Religion Research Institute found that nationally, support for a bill like the Equality Act was over 70%, all right? Which includes a majority of Democrats, Republicans, and independents, um, as well as um, other organizations. And it was endorsed by over 600 organizations, including civil rights, education, healthcare, the list goes on and on. Uh, This has the people support. Uh, I just wanna remind folks of that. So literally you have conservative lawmakers, once again, contrary to the will of their own constituents. My man, give out your social media. How can people follow you, check you out? Yeah, I appreciate that in the space to have this conversation. We are NBJC on the move across digital platforms. We have a really beautiful dynamic new website at nbjc.org. And I am Mr. MR David, D-A-V-I-D-J-O-H-N-S across platforms as well. Thanks, David, good luck on that PhD program, man. I appreciate it, thank you.